Hello, welcome to the Crazy Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Violeta Kaminska, and today I have a great pleasure to talk to Herbert Loy. Hi, Herbert. How are you? Hi, Violeta. Very well, thanks. <laughs> welcome. So today we will talk to Herbert Loy, uh, the author of There is No Right Way to Do This, a book that supports people starting new projects, learning new skills, and developing their creative processes. He also writes a newsletter, Best of Books, where he shares three great books every month. Actually, Herbert does much more than this short introduction tells you, but we'll get to it while we start talking. I will try not to get too much into my uh, usual monologue. <laughs> okay, so once again, welcome to Crazy Bird Podcast, Herbert. Let's jump right in. I know you are very interested in culture, nature, creativity, all those combined. I've really enjoyed reading your articles where you talk about productivity, because very often we don't necessarily talk about productivity when we um, when we talk to art. When I talk to artists, it's more about creativity and this kind of aspect of uh, nurturing your soul and producing um, artwork. But I think um, this concept of productivity and creativity, I find it really interesting, especially in our society these days, and especially when I work with my um, my students who are artists. And it seems like productivity actually is a big part of the creative process and creativity. Because without it, very often, and I think especially right now during the pandemic, there's a lot of struggle around that. You know, we are affected psychologically, emotionally in many ways, which kind of gets in a way of producing work and being creative. So I feel like I actually talk to my students a lot and to my uh, fellow artists, friends. I, I will really talk about finding new ways of creating of being creative. And time management is one of the aspects we actually discuss. I feel, and also, you know, like being productive, producing work. Because what's interesting, and now I'm doing my monologue that I said I was not going to do, but I'll <laughs> let you talk in a second. But I think what's interesting, you know, you would think that we have all that time right now, right? It's been over a year right now, about a year probably with the pandemic. So one would think if you have all that time, you could just be creating work, you're stuck at home. And very often, I hear that's not the case for everybody, right? Because there are all those other aspects we are dealing with of our life that kind of get in our way. So let's chat about it, Herbert. I'll let you talk now. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, the monologue's my favorite part, so I could listen to you for, for the whole hour, actually, honestly. <laughs> so, you know, that article, um, maybe I'm going to jump into that article that you wrote for Fast Company. And I think that was, for me, that was not a long article, but it was so dense with so much, there was a lot of information and I, I always call it food for thought. It made me think, of, you know, and actually my monologue, I think, was inspired by that article. Something else you said there, that there is no, and that's actually your book, so I'm jumping all over here, but I feel it's all connected. There is no right way to do this. So maybe let's talk about this. What's the title, really? What, where, where does this come from? And what do you mean by there is no right way to do this? Yeah, so um, I think the idea for that came from really just really tangible examples of... Uh, I noticed that people kept trying to look for solutions. Like, you know, hey, what's the one secret to doing this? And what's the one magic thing that you could do that you could tell me to do and that I can do to be the same as you. And I found that that kind of urge and then the, you know, the supply of those answers as well. Like, you know, if you're going to ask me that I'm going to try to tell you doesn't always result in, in an actual like 
answer that works for that person. We're all very different people. Um, you know, the case in point is I remembered reading about this person who maybe 10 years ago, he wrote about, oh, I advise nobody use a calendar. Like I don't use a calendar, like just don't use a calendar. It allows you to get in the flow. And then he was more, he was interviewed more recently. Uh, and, and now he only uses a calendar. He's like, I try to have every day as structured as possible. And it was just so funny to me because, uh, to me, I'm like, wow, this is like completely night and day. And it took a span of several years, maybe, and also different life circumstances and different problems that he's trying to solve to take on this different approach. And I think that's where the idea for there's no right way to do this came from is just even the same person can use the completely two opposite approaches and opposite rules and opposite Mm -hmm. answers and still achieve the thing that they want to achieve. Um, and so really the the right way to do it is your way. And yeah. that's the whole point of this is to find your way of doing something. I took it a bit further and I don't know if you would agree. So I moved to Savannah, Georgia from San Francisco over a year ago. And you know, when you live somewhere, well, that's again, that's my just personal opinion, but I feel when you live somewhere for a while, you just become used to the, the, that environment, um, culture, people around you. So the way you respond to even crisis, but just everyday life experience, there's a pattern, right? And also, you know, relationships you are in or relationships you have with uh, people, and they don't have to be that personal, but even at work, colleagues, it's just the particular cu- culture you're part of. So, you know, it, it, you develop certain patterns, even if you don't think about it. So you re- even the way you work, there is a certain pattern, automatically you apply it to that, right? To your work uh, or to anything, to life. Absolutely. And I feel when you move, I always say that it's great. It's it's hard. For me, it was hard to make a decision to move because of, you know, I love, I love California. It's my home and I loved San Francisco. And it was a very difficult decision to make. And, and there were lots of concerns I had. But I also remembered because of my travels and living in different places that I believe that moving is actually something we all should do once in a while because it puts you in a different environment. Now, there's a chance that when we move to a different environment, we, I think we also make projections and we decide that we bring with us not only ourselves, but everything else, that not just baggage, but our patterns, our behavior, and our understanding of culture. So it's easy sometimes to judge a new culture, right? Because it's not exactly what you know, but it's easy also to impose our behavior or our response to, you know, to situations. And I... I, I, I had a little monologue, which is easy with myself, you know, a little <laughs> dialogue. And I decided very consciously that I want to reset or I, I want to keep my mind open and give myself, I, I was joking, I was telling my friend around my birthday, which is, you know, in December, the time when I moved here, that I'm going to give myself a gift. I'm going to try to kind of keep my mind open and not apply my patterns, you know, my what I my just my usual way of responding and just kind of observe and well I think it's to say just keep my mind open I find it really easy to apply that one way of knowing something because you know that's your way right so I don't know if you would agree but it, that's exactly what I'm thinking there is no right way to do this and once you apply that kind of mindset and you keep my mind you keep your mind open you don't react that's what i would say you know to new situations people don't project what people think or mean their behaviors 
it even affected my work, my artwork. Because it was also easy. It was easy. It would be. I knew I wanted to make some adjustments and make a shift in my work. But sometimes it can be easy to do so because, like, what is it that I'm doing? Why am I doing this? This is what I know. All of that made a lot of sense, and I think you touched on some really, really interesting points there. So, first of all, I completely agree. I think that we the point on openness is really part of the key, right? When you when you think that there's no right way to do anything, then you start being more open to everybody else's way. And, you know, they might work for you, they might not work for you, but the truth is it, it might work for them, right? So, so I think you become more accepting of it. And I really appreciate that. Um, I really liked your point on moving. I think that's actually a big part of uh, what you touched on in the opening, which is that uh, that kind of movement is really important in creative work. And I mean, I think it's just important part of being a person. Uh, and that's why being stuck in one place is really difficult because you're not allowed to move. And even if you had a, a Peloton or a treadmill or whatever, it's just not the same. You don't have the same kind of like collisions, you know, not, not, not actual collisions, but like mental creative right. kind of collisions happening in your brain. You see something and, and you, we don't get to spend as much time outside either. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of it as well. And uh, I totally agree as well with like kind of the, the perspective we bring, whether it's baggage or patterns, I think that's it's, a key word, perspective. right. I think it's always the perspective we bring and it's um, the, we're trying to expand it ideally. Right. And that's what being open does is you can, you can, broaden out your perspective a little more and see see things from not only yours but maybe from another person's perspective um and moving is a really really powerful way to do that i think the the that's why so many people like to travel and moving is just mm -hmm. a more permanent version of that right but right. um there are definitely things you can't get less than spending maybe like you know a year somewhere you just won't be able to get what living there is like right so right. i totally agree and i think um I think that's a big part of the experience for sure. Like changing physical environments because at, at the end of the day, now I'm monologuing too, but. Um, that's great. Go, go on, please. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think uh, at the end of the day, um, that's how like we're all, I mean, we have a very big part of being human is our physical body. Right. So it's like, Oh, like we need to move around. We need to, uh, take action in order to kind of learn things as well. I think that's part of what my book is about is like, hey, just, you know, I have these points in there and I call them propositions instead of just rules or advice or principles because the proposition is for you to say yes or no to. Um, I think I got the idea from improvisational comedy where I went to an improv class and that was the idea is you, you know, someone proposes something, you can say yes or you, you say yes and take it in another direction. Um, but the, the point there is just, Hey, these are all ideas and you can sit, you can try them. You don't have to, if it doesn't work for you right now, if it's not appealing right now, that's okay too. So I think that the way we look at almost all the advice and information we take in, uh, regarding creative advice or productive advice I think should be viewed as a proposition as well. Like just understanding, Hey, this worked for this person but it might not work for me. But also 
you need to, I need to try it in order to see. So right. uh, I think it's a very interesting way to see things. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting there, you said you need to try it, right? Or I need to try it and I'll see. And I feel, which is really, really, I think, interesting because we would think with, especially with artists, it's easy to try new ideas. But I've noticed lately, and I don't know if it's been the pandemic or it's just a coincidence and having conversations around it. I've noticed that um, artists or even my, you know, very often students um, have a difficulty trying new ideas. There's a fear, right? It's like a, it's a fear of blank canvas, right? But there's a fear what if I don't succeed? If I know something, right? So I'll, I'll just pursue that path because at least I know I'll complete it, which is really interesting because I think there's this notion that people who do not consider themselves creative or do not consider themselves artists or admire artists or think of art as just a form of easy way of doing things and not understanding that art is hard work, which often you know, I talk to my students about it because my students really work hard to produce this piece of art or design because there's a whole creative process that you know is a big part of producing something but at the same time I've noticed and you know I, I'm not saying I'm not just talking about others I'm talking about myself it's easy to fall into this even I could say trap sometimes if there is a method you've developed and it works for you sometimes I say why would you change it right or why would you try something else but I find this um, I call it getting lost in a good way and I I think it's a really liberating experience because that's where new work, that sometimes we are so concerned about being unique, original, but you cannot be original if you don't allow yourself, again, my personal opinion, some, some people listening to us might completely disagree, but I do think you really need to allow yourself to get lost, get out of your comfort zone and just try and not be afraid of, if you call it failure, that's fine. But, you know, I am a person who always, I'm curious and I want to investigate, explore, and I will look into something. There is no right or wrong way. So I will look as long as I need to look. I talked to a friend of mine who paints and I asked him, where do you stop? He said, I know where to stop. He can't really explain it. There is maybe the feeling, right? There is this one mark he would make and that's it. But, um, but it's very unique and individual. I believe you need to allow ourselves to get lost. And I think dealing with confusion is very difficult. For artists and not just artists some deal with it better some less and i think and i don't know if it's true but i feel our life is so confusing especially last 12 months that add confusion to your creative work i think for some is overwhelming because we want to control something in our life at least we think our work i know how to do something i'll stick to it what are your thoughts on that herbert yeah i completely agree i think that uh, I like the words you use, like getting lost is really an interesting way to put it because you're only lost the first time you go mm -hmm. in that new territory, right? Like then right. when you like, I mean, it depends on a person's navigational skills, I guess. But when you <laughs> go right. back, you're like, oh, I, I remember this place. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with it. Uh, and I think that's one of the, if we use the, you know, if I take it literally and kind of use the like physical world analogy for it that getting lost sometimes is one of the best things that could happen because you you know you took the long way to work or whatever and you realize whoa there's so much that I've lived here for maybe for a long time or maybe I'm traveling a new place but you know there's so much I didn't know about this place it's so stimulating right so I think that's uh that's a really good way of phrasing it and it's definitely I think people I mean every person by default 
probably has a degree of inertia, right? Like we like the habits, we like our comfort routines, right? And we we like what we're familiar with. I definitely see that in myself. And it could happen for uh, days, weeks, months, which lead to years, which then lead to decades and the rest of life. So it's really important to actively, I think doing new stuff as a meta skill is almost its own muscle. And trying new things mm-hmm. and um you know ascribing the label of failure to something that didn't turn out the way that we had hoped uh is i mean some people it's possible to apply that of course like oh right. like this is I, it's a big it looks word, like garbage failure. or whatever right, right. It's, it's very a, negative right and it really did right i think the meaning of the word in itself has a lot of negativity to most people uh but I do appreciate that we're, I like to think we're all getting a bit more comfortable with failure and maybe also just using a different word to describe it, right? Like I just haven't succeeded yet is another way of putting it. Um, But also, whoa, this didn't turn out the way I thought it would. And maybe it's better in some ways. And then trying to see how, how, um, how it's better. Your point on getting lost was interesting too, because you end up fine if you're lost you you try to find your way back to something you know right that's the natural thing to do and i think getting lost when you get lost and you go back somewhere from a creative standpoint you you bring something back from the place where you're lost from and you bring it back with you and it's newness like it's new energy into Mm -hmm. maybe the same through line or the same uh, theme that you've been talking about for a while, but it's new. And because of that, it adds to it. I think it adds to the body of work and it adds to uh, the value you bring and also the kind of like the the life experience and the breadth of experience that you bring as well. So I definitely think that it's always worth trying new things and almost doing the opposite of whatever you do. If If you're used to doing digital and starting digital, then start physical or vice versa. And and, you know, flipping, flipping the process every now and then. Um, and uh, just, I think your point on, your point on moving reminded me of a quote. Um, I think it was from Marina Abramovich. And when she was moving, when she was creating the Art Vital Manifesto, she, I think permanent mobility or perpetual mobility was one of the tenets of that manifesto. And she lived in a mobile home at the time as well. So I definitely think there's a big, big part of uh, creativity that has been, it's, it's an obstacle for us to deal with if we're in creative expression because of the pandemic, we can't move around as much. Uh, but I definitely think that we can still travel metaphorically in our heads uh, and also just kind of tune into what's happening um, virtually fortunately, right? And I mean, or, or unfortunately, and, uh, and draw inspiration from those sources as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know, I also think th- there's something interesting about a fear of getting lost. Some of us find it exciting, but when it comes to work, I feel very often we want to control it. There are different reasons, but one of them is deadlines. Yeah. For sure. That's a big part. And if it's in an artistic world and non-artistic, you know, I'm talking about artistic, especially when you have to complete something because there is either a product or a piece of art that needs to be completed at a particular time on a particular day, especially when you're an art student or a design student, or if you're a professional. And so we have those deadlines. I think 
very often there is this obstacle and possibly in our head that prevents us from trying, trying new things or giving us ourselves a little freedom, allowing myself to discover. Because I cannot imagine actually going through my life and producing, repeating my successes. Successes are great. And that's another obstacle sometimes to getting lost because what if I don't succeed again? But I just don't want to recreate the same work. Yeah, I wanted to say that you hit it on the nose. Like it's a risk. And the the degree of risk we feel we can and can't take is probably like proportional to whatever is at stake, right? If it's like a big project with a big you know, really cool client, or maybe it's for a gallery or whatever it is, it becomes so nerve wracking to do it because, you know, you want to go back to what you know, you're really good at. And they also found you through that, right? Like they found you through that piece of work. So, oh, maybe they want something similar. Um, And so it is very difficult to, to make that choice. I think that's where it takes a kind of like, a bit of a calculation there, right? I mean, creative calculation is not math related. It's like, hey, should I try it or should I not? And it's up to each individual person to figure it out. I love when um, when really prominent artists just like do something really out of the blue. And it's either, you know, the good way to put it is very challenging or they're trying something new, but they'll get panned for it. And it's just brutal mm-hmm. to watch, especially if you like the artist. But it's also like, you know what? That that model is so helpful, I think, to everyone else, because it's a reminder, hey, you know, everyone is, there's no putting anyone on a pedestal here, everyone's kind of the same. And also, like, you know, it's worth taking the risk sometimes if you think it's important enough, because you're the artist. Mm-hmm. I created a particular video installation, Fog, seven years ago. And it was really successful at that time. It was really, it made a mark, I think, in the media environment. And it, I got a lot of attention because of that. And I had thoughts, what if my other piece will not be as successful, I would say. My work has progressed and I'm, you know, there is a particular theme I'm interested in and I would like to talk about a little bit about it, nature and creativity and slowing down. But just even the visuals, I decided it wasn't really intentional just to break free from, you know, the old success. But there was a need as an artist to keep moving forward. And I allowed myself to keep moving and, you know, go into this. I think I I really like the term you use, perpetual mobility. I couldn't just stay with what I was doing then because I wouldn't be true to myself. And then I just probably would stop doing artwork in general. I had a need to inspect, investigate and continue with new discoveries. So the visuals changed. And I... I heard in the beginning, oh, this is very different from Fog, which is natural for people to say, obviously, right? Because that's what, but there were so many comparisons. And now, you know, years later, there's really not much discussion about Fog. It's just about about the general subject matter I'm interested in and, and it's fine. I do think there is this, fog thing which is kind of metaphorical too over my work <laughs> that it's there that there was yeah. fog there was this big piece but it's really interesting and you know what does it mean big right it's just caught attention i think it was the right time for that piece to come out which really started everything else you know i've done so far my thought process was strongly affected by that piece and took me all the different directions i've taken ever since yeah i think it's part of what we are talking about really allowing yourself to keep moving forward definitely it reminds me of a few things like there's this idea of 
I think it was Warren Buffett who suggested this idea of like the inner scorecard and the outer scorecard. And, you know, you even if an artist succeeds or let's, you know, if anyone succeeds from a critical or commercial perspective, that might not always mean that they're succeeding at the inner perspective, right? Because they're not developing as much as they, or they're not exploring the thing they want to be exploring. And it's a bit of a struggle. I mean, the best is when they're both aligned together, of course. And it reminds me of, um, there is an artist, his name is Andre 3000. And he, you know, he's, I think his group was the first to win the first hip hop group. Outkast was the first hip hop group to win album of the year at the Grammys. So they're really, you know, they're like the best. And he recently, maybe a year or two ago, did an interview where he was just talking about the struggle he had with being creative again, because everything he does is scrutinized so aggressively. You know, if he, if he made a song, then it would, everyone's like, oh my gosh, Andre 3000 made a new song. And then, oh, what do you think? This is like supposed to be the best of our time. And it's almost, I, 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 I could understand where he was coming from. I mean, I'm not the best of all time, but I definitely think that everyone deals with that. It's a very relatable challenge and it's almost like a curse in a way, like the, you know, the, right. Like, you know, whatever success you get, you know, whether it's, it's widely recognized, minor recognized, whatever it is, it kind of like blocks you in a way. And there's a pressure. There's exactly, there's pressure and expectation and then you're like oh like this is I don't even want to think about this anymore I'm sure you must have felt a degree of that with fog it's like oh like I I'm so happy that it succeeded and the it really hit the outer scorecard but uh you know my inner scorecard is telling me to go here so I'm going to go here and you succeeded there right like you succeeded from that perspective for sure um it's uh it's definitely a a challenge and it's so easy just to be like, well, like, just, you know, just make something new, but it's, it's more difficult from a psychological perspective. And that's why sometimes it just helps to think with your hands, right? You know, you just draw something and doodle it and then see what happens and just get started. It would be easy to continue recreating work that was similar in my case to fog. And I've tried. Yeah. (laughs) And believe me, this was a very short try period. Because I, I thought it's just not working because I yeah. realized that's not really me anymore. I'm not really, yeah. the reason I do fog was I was exploring, investigating. It just happened from a long period of research, months of research and working, taking videos, photographs, and then recreating landscapes. And I thought there was a process that led to that discovery and to that work. So I cannot just copy that. I need to go through the process and my way of, you know, I've already developed my methodology of making and it's very particular, you know, my walks, being there within nature and kind of then looking at nature from a perspective of personal living in current times where technology is a big part of my landscape, which actually now brings me to nature, landscape, creativity. Well, that was a detour, but... We, we got here. No, it's a good so, segue. <laughs> yes. In your email, when we had an exchange of emails, you mentioned your research. You've been doing so much research and lots of writing and reading. And you talked about creativity and nature. I really found it interesting when you talked about contemporary artists, but also Mozart, Cezanne, Van Gogh. Yeah, definitely. So I think you can't really have one without the other. I think that nature is a huge part of 
whether we know it or not, of of human expression in general. And I think we can, I believe it was Da Vinci who first started, um, I mean, he's the, no, he's not the first, but in my head, he's one of the more prominent artists who was like, just everything perfect is in nature. And we kind of have to work backwards from there for art. But that's why for him, he, you know, he's recognized now as an artist and a scientist for that reason. He saw it both as, you know, two sides of the same coin, maybe, right? Um, I think that if we, uh, Suzanne was probably the best example of his story is so interesting as a developing artist, because now we, we know his legacy and it's so big, but there were times when he was struggling. And I think there are just descriptions and portraits, not, not literal portraits, but people describing him as, oh, all of his peers were succeeding. And this guy was still like struggling, trying to, you know, go for walks and he'd be really frustrated and he would still always return back to nature to kind of find, to keep finding and to keep looking, right? Like that was a big part of the process. I don't know if there were as many alternatives back then because, you know, they didn't have TV and they didn't have music, like, I mean, on demand music, right? So now we have all of this technology that we can draw inspiration from. But I think that fundamentally nature is still a really big part of how we do things. I mean, even in design, um, you know, there's, there are ratios and rules and all of these things that we draw from nature and we kind of like take for granted and it's just in a book now or it's on the internet now, but all of it came from nature as well. So I definitely think that um, the two are very, very interlinked. I think especially in the last 12 months, nature has been quite a savior. I mean, at least we realized more than ever. For me, it's always been a big part of my life, but being stuck indoors because of the pandemic and because where I live in Savannah, I have a lot of opportunities to go for walks or hikes and be completely by myself. Well, I'm never by myself because there are all those birds and creatures exactly. and trees, right? So it's never being by yourself. But that was really something that helped me you know, to go through this process and kind of, I really saved my sanity, but also, you know, generated a really new work. I thought that, oh, now the pandemic, I can't travel. So there is also fewer opportunities uh, for um, connecting with the art world and um, exhibits. But what's interesting, it was this time, it's this time of being, again, uh, you know, with nature, really closer to actual nature, very secluded uh, environment, and also experiencing solitude that produced, led to new, York, new work, in my case, and my work is being exhibited in Poland, for example, for a few months in a museum. Uh, I, I had a pleasure to also be part of the media festival in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. So, and of course, Amazing. Zoom kind of, yeah, so, and Zoom, you know, we have this Zoom land, they call it, that helped <laughs> me to connect and be part of talks. So my uh, art practice hasn't been affected in a negative way because of the pandemic. I think I just got inspired from where I was during particular different times and produced new work. Okay. Just listened to a lecture. I signed up for a lecture, which is another thing which I really appreciate during the pandemic times because I feel we were so confused and lost and, and scared the first month. With, nobody knew what was happening. So it seemed a little bit overwhelming, but with time, a few months in, 
it seemed like we, we all kind of the world started figuring out to navigate through that strange landscape and times. I feel like there are so many more opportunities even through Zoom to connect with artists, lots of artist talks. So I've been really, I've been taking a lot of classes actually online. I have one master's in applied linguistics and my other is in design. So linguistics and communication is a big part in my life. And I really, um, and at cultures, I think that's, well, I really enjoy that and like exploring it. And very often I talk uh, about neurolinguistics. I'm very interested in neurolinguistics and I'm interested in brain, and its function and languages. So I uh, just a few weeks ago, I was telling a friend of mine that I think if there is next life, lifetime, and if I have this opportunity, I'll be studying neurolinguistics. And my friend said, why can't you do it now? And I said, no, 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 I'm not studying anymore. No. And then two days later, something comes up on my screen. Oh, there is this class with a professor of St. Petersburg University, neurolinguist. And I thought, why can't I take a class? It's 10 weeks. So I started taking a class. And I'm, wow. while I was you know, doing this uh, first uh, week, some assignments, and I was learning. And I'm right when I'm in the middle of it, I'm thinking, this is fascinating. Just a few days ago, I was saying that next lifetime, maybe. And this is happening right now. But I have all those opportunities. And I think in talking about keeping your mind open and kind of thinking slightly differently. I always do detours. So I hope you if you're still with that's me. That's the best part of that's the best part of the conversation. I feel like the detours are the best part. <laughs> yeah. So coming back to talking also about the, the classes or lectures that are available to us right now, Laurie Anderson, I, I joined her talk on Zoom and I, I found it really inspiring. Not only I found her voice very, you know, she felt very present in a moment. And I thought I just needed it. I had a very tough day. That day. And then when I listened to it, I just found myself in the moment and centered. So um, she was talking about, there was uh, during the Q&A, um, an artist, uh, there was a question from the audience and somebody asked, how do you deal with that during the pandemic? How do you deal as an artist? Somebody asked for advice. What is it that you advise young artists who feel slightly lost or scared? And she gave the best answer I completely agree with. She said, these are the best times to be an artist. The truth is that we always go through difficult times. And of course, the level of difficulty is always different. But if we look at history, for an event, if we look at um, times of war, I'm a little bit extreme right now with my examples, but there've always been art. Yeah. Art brings people hope. Art addresses issues. We have a lot of issues right now. And art really addresses that and helps us to see things very often and actually then to address as a society. So I do think that part is really important. And also then again, talking about nature, nature is a big part of finding some sort of peace, finding solitude that I think is really important. Some people confuse it with boredom. That's another thing, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm talking about so many things. It's great. Boredom, I think, is is a kind of an attitude, right? Like nothing's really ever that boring. And you, you know, it really depends on what you bring to it. I I think that whether it's the truth or not, I mean, what is the truth, first of all, in this context, right? Like, if it's the best time, the worst time to be an artist, like, I think it really, um, you know, it is a bit circumstantial. But I also think like, you know, that idea helps. It's so powerful, because it opens up the possibilities again, right? Like, we're, you know, you kind of flip every disadvantage you we perceive on its head and say, Oh, it's the worst time. Well, it might be the best in some ways, right? Uh, I really like that. And I think that, um, you know, that idea is very interesting. I think that nowadays, our time, and the way we spend our time and energy is so different. In terms of creativity and productivity, like, 
if we're trying to calculate quote unquote productive things from creativity, it's so difficult to do because, you know, we might be living through the process and something, we make a breakthrough in 10 seconds. And it's like, oh, like I made this thing in 10 seconds. Well, no, you actually had to do like the whole like 100 hours before that, but we weren't aware of it. And, and so from a productivity perspective, it's hard to make those calculations. But I think the best thing we can do is to always, um, we can consider it docu- documenting or uh, maybe even just, um, you know, making something without caring about what, what happens, right? Like doing that once a day, whatever that thing is. It might be the same thing. It might be a different thing. Like El Luna does the, uh, the hundred day project. Day yeah, that's the same thing, right? And that's always the same thing, uh, the same operation for a hundred days, not necessarily the next hundred days. But the commitment, I think, is super valuable there because those structures help with the kind of more chaotic energy of creativity. That's what you know. I'm borrowing. Uh, her, you know, her collaborator, her collaborator, Lindsay Jean Thompson, who I interviewed for the book, I'm borrowing her words, that's her analogy. And I really liked it. I was like, wow, creative energy is really chaotic. Sometimes if you don't harness it, it's just going to go all over the place. And that's where the structures and if we're talking about productivity, like everyone at every different time, every any given person probably needs a version of structure in their creative work, whether it's repeated or not, or at some high level, there is a a sense of, okay, I know what I'm doing and here's how I'm going to do it. And here's the operation that I've created. Okay. One more thing. You write a newsletter, Herbert, best of books, yes. and you share three great books every month. What is it about? Yeah. So the newsletter, uh, well, first of all, I read a lot of books um, and I just, I love books. So I'll, I'll, I'll tilt the camera really quickly, but I know, uh, yeah, I know that listeners, I'm, I can describe it maybe a bit. It's just three but shelves. I can tell, I saw, I saw books, a lot of bookshelves and a lot of books, <laughs> a wall of books. Yeah. yeah. So I really like books and I think that it's important for us to keep reading uh, just, I think that, I mean, we might have already bottomed out in the, in terms of for a while it was trending downwards that we were reading fewer and fewer books, and I think it's starting to to change now. Um, but best of books is really a kind of my own effort and initiative to kind of change that trend, right? Which is, hey, maybe if people, the first question is always like, okay, what should I read? And especially if my, you know, my friends they know that I read, they're like, okay, what are you reading now? And like can you recommend something for me? I kind of like this. And I just decided, oh, I'm recommending books all the time already. I might as well start a newsletter and try try it and see what happens. And I want to, you know, in the long run, hopefully, to make reading, um, you know, more accessible, but more fun for everyone, for sure. And in the newsletter, I'll share you know a few books but also just excerpts from the book so quotes and things like that uh that really resonated with me and that way you know you can kind of sample it if you like it then you can you can borrow it or buy it and then if you don't then you know on to the next book and then so it's just once a month uh and yeah i'm having a lot of fun writing it honestly it's um one of the i think 
I can definitely relate to what you say when, when uh, you were talking about, you know, waking up earlier to, to do the art pro- project and it's, it's the best part of the day. Sometimes for me, it's sometimes it's the best part of the month. It's a, Oh, like, you know, it's, I mean, it's not, it doesn't take that long, but it's definitely a thing I look forward to. And I think that's a really important part of, even if you're a professional artist, right? Sometimes it gets, it gets, it's a profession. So it becomes kind of a job sometimes, but it's really important to keep, whether you're a professional or, an, you know, kind of new to this, and maybe you don't even call yourself an artist yet, but it, I think there's a way to frame it in a way where it's always the best part of your day. And that's the part where like you, you'll do your best work, I think, but also you'll be super happy for it mm-hmm. for the, so there's this guy, his name is Mike Saviello and um, you know, his art. I mean, I think everyone just calls him big Mike. So, but he, for 40 years now, I think 30 to 40, maybe he's, He's the manager of Astor Place Hairstylist in New York. So it's just, you know, that that hairstylist place has been around for like 70 plus years. Like the mayor gets his haircut there. Celebrities go there. It's like the place to go. And I think maybe only uh, a few years ago, you know, he had a customer who was one of his best friends or not his best friends, but one of his friends. And uh, the the customer came in and was like, oh, I actually wrote this book. And, you know, he worked in finance. So he had woken up at like 3 a.m. to write the book to 7 a.m. or whatever every day. And that gave Big Mike the idea, oh, like I can probably start painting. He always wanted to paint. And so he started doing that during lunch. And it's there's a documentary on it. He also has an article in the New York Times about it. Uh, but he, I think that's how uh, he still structures his day. It's like just one hour of the day. He paints and that's how his process is. And it's, it's really great. He's been in a couple of shows uh, from a, you know, for looking at the outer scorecard, but from the inner scorecard, he tells me, he's like, this is the best part of the day. Like, it's not even hard for me. I love doing it. But this whole idea of time, I think this concept of time, I don't have time to do this. If only I had time, right? Yeah. But it's just even the same. If we switch even the way how we talk about time. Right? What is time? You know, we'll get there, but <laughs> yeah. you know, that would be another five episodes. Yeah, that's another. Or I don't know if it's an hour. It's a lifetime. <laughs> a lifetime, exactly. But I think um, I think it's really important for all of us to be reset this idea. Just give it a try. And I'm talking to those of, especially those listeners who struggle with the same kind of thinking. Give yourself 15 minutes and see what you can do because you, I can spend 15 minutes thinking about it. And after right. 15 minutes, I just wait. Well, maybe it's not a waste of time, but it could be wasted. What if I did something in 15 minutes? Right. right? And get it out of your head. Like think like the brain is connected to the rest of the body. So when you do stuff, it, it mm-hmm. feeds the brain too. I think what you hit it on the nose, like it's time... It takes, I mean, there are people who spend 60 seconds a day doing something, right? You, you know, you can collect a hundred phrases you like, or have friends send you a hundred phrases. And then every day you open up Photoshop and like make a new poster out of it. Like there's, there's ways you can do it for sure. Even in just seconds a day. Uh, I mean, there might, the time pressure might be a little stressful, but some people, it might work for some people. And I completely There's no right way to do this. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and it's all, you know, the other point that you made was really interesting. We, it's all one brain, right? We all only have one brain. So everything we kind of take in is, uh, it's, 
it feeds the process and it feeds the art. And, um, and yeah, I, re I just, that, the, what you said, like really resonated for sure. And I think it's, it's a super helpful way to think. And even if we we're aware of this trap we fall into, which is, oh, I don't have enough time. The awareness is one thing, but then practicing it is a whole other because I'm aware of it. I mean, I've, I've written about it too. And I still find myself saying that all the time, like complaining. And it's just, you know, it takes, it takes a, a little bit of finesse to be like, hey, like actually, what's the 60 second version of this? How can you scope it down so that it, it's really easy to do? And, and then like you also lower your expectations for it. And maybe you'll make something great, maybe not, but you'll make right. something. And that's the point. Yeah. I think that it's also really interesting what you said. Maybe you make something great, maybe not. And that's the, the pressure we can put, right? Like wh what's the outcome? And I, you know, I really think, and you know, we are all outcome driven. I feel we all are like, you know, what will I get out of it? It can be monitor. It can be like, I need something, right? Because if, it, if it's not going to lead to something, you know, like tangible, maybe it's a waste of time. And I think to kind of stop worrying about it so much, but indulge in that creative process or whatever that process is, I believe that process always leads to discoveries. You always make discoveries. Right. And very often, actually, that work or that time will lead to something spectacular. But sometimes we cannot see it when we are in the process. It's only looking back, right? We can connect those dots. So... And sometimes it's, and again, going back to Luna's the, the 100 day project, really, she's doing again this uh, right now. You know, what if every day you do something every day and you kind of look at what you've done and what is it that you're interested in pursuing next day and next day? And even if it's 15 minutes or 10 minutes, if you do it for 100 days, if you look back 100 days later, this could be like a big, you know, talking about a student or an artist portfolio, right? It could yeah. be a really big you suddenly see this and you realize something that you didn't see when you started doing it because it was a play. And I think it's a big part to allow yourself to play, not to get too serious and wound up. It's all about play. It is. Really. As adults, we have this concern because we have to work hard, right? Yeah. That's what society tells us, work hard. When we were little kids, we were playing. We were not really thinking if this drawing is going to win an award, if it's going to pay for my breakfast. You just played <laughs> spent yeah. hours and you had a good time. That's, oh, it's so good to talk to you, Herbert. Yeah, it's good to talk to you as well. I think, um, you know, I you just reminded me of a thing, um, which is that the 100 Day Project actually came from uh, Michael Beirut's class at Yale. Yes. And I, you know, I think I heard this from Lindsay. And she was saying that uh, Al wanted to do the project. She said, oh, you know, how do I sign up for this class for Yale? But then it was like, oh, I don't need to sign up for, to the class to do this thing. And, and I think that's part of the key as well that we can all work around is like, you know, these gates that we think we need to go through, sometimes we don't need them in order to actually do the operation. We can just take it into our own hands and be like, okay, cool, I'm just going to do this. And maybe it's, I mean, they, they built a community around it, which is amazing. Maybe other communities exist and maybe you start your own if they don't, just like how you started this podcast. Definitely. I agree. Herbert, I could talk to you and keep going, but I Same. think it's time for us to stop. So I have a question. Where our uh, listeners can find your uh, writing or anything that you you know put out there so they can get a little bit more information? Yeah. So my blog is where I post everything. That's herbertloy.net. So herbertlui.net. Uh, and if you're on Twitter, you can follow me. I'm at Herbert Loy on Medium. I'm 
herbertloyd.medium.com. Uh, those are the main places that I spend the most time. Wonderful. And we'll, I will make sure that we share that on our social media and on our website. So once again, thank you so much, Herbert, for being our guest. It's our season two. Very exciting. This is our fresh start. So I really, really appreciate that. All that converse, you know, this conversation has been very uh, stimulating for me. And I feel ready to go back to my studio and create. I have a lot to think about, which is really great. And I, have, I feel like I've learned so much. I've learned new names that I would like to learn more about, of those artists and individuals. And also, I'm really interested in um, getting a little bit more familiar with your blog and your writing. Where, uh, where can we get your book? There is no right way to do this. Where is it available? Yeah, it's available at my site. So herbertloy.net slash reps, R-E-P-S. Um, you can buy it at that page. And thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I feel the same way. We could talk for hours, I think, about the stuff we talked about. Um, and yeah, this was, it was really great being on the show. Thanks so much, Violetta. Thank you so much, Herbert. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Bird Podcast. The Crazy Bird Podcast is hosted by Violetta Kaminska. Our guest for this episode was Herbert Loy. You can find Herbert's book, There Is No Right Way to Do This, at herbertloy.net slash reps. You can also find Herbert's writing at herbertloy.net and at herbertloy.medium.com. Our theme music is inspired by Tambourine by French composer François-Joseph Gossec. The improvisation is performed by Agnieszka Kowalik. Nature sounds were recorded by Violeta Kaminska. This episode was edited and produced by Violeta Kaminska.